Turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 this morning. And uh, we've been preaching. Actually, if you, if you look at it, I'm actually preaching my way through the book of Acts. But uh, my intent is to chase the church through the book of Acts. And why is because I've been burdened uh, with um, churches are off track today. They're not worshiping and they're not conducting themselves uh, like the Bible says that we need to. And they've turned worship into entertainment. And that is definitely uh, the wrong track to be on. We find from the Bible that anytime a service begins to become entertainment-driven or entertainment-oriented, whereas the people uh, that are there, uh, like this morning, in the pews, they're being entertained, and that's not right. It always ends wrongly. And so we don't need to be lulled to sleep. We need to, uh, to be active in our worship or service uh, to the Lord or and, maybe use the word and there, our worship and our service to the Lord. So we've here in Acts chapter 9. Now last week we looked at a scriptural conversion with the Ethiopian eunuch who was a religious man. He believed in God. He worshipped. He went up to Jerusalem. Uh, and and I, I threw in on a sidebar. You won't find it in Scripture. You look for it. I guarantee you he was going up to Jerusalem because if you're worshipping in Jerusalem, you were bringing your tithes up there also. It looks that he was a proselyte Jew. He was Ethiopian, but he had become a proselyte Jew and so was practicing the law and that he was operating in the light God had given him, the Old Testament. And, and so uh, he has the book of Isaiah. He was a Bible-reading man. And so the Lord had Philip meet him down there in the desert there in Gaza. And uh, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, how can I unless someone explain it to me? So Philip, he was reading Isaiah 53, Philip preached to him Jesus. And we got in on what does the word believe? When the Bible uses the word believe, what does that mean? Because Philip said, the Ethiopian eunuch had said, well, I'd like to be baptized. And Philip said, well, you can if you believe with all thine hearts. Very powerful verse in the Word of God. What was that word believe? And we learnt from Scripture that it is a two-part word and that uh, the be in the believe is a state of a be being or it to exist. But then that word leave, that's an old English that has its roots in love and it means to go along with, to pledge yourself to or to be committed to. Very powerful word. See, we don't use that word like that today. Uh, the devil has uh, begun, and you've seen it, but it's been going on for years, change the definitions for words. And that's how he corrupts, that's how he deceives, is he begins to uh, uh, change those definitions to words. And so now you hear people that say, well, yeah, I believed, or they'll say it like this, well, I believe God's real. That's not salvation. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble, but yet they're devils still. So there's more to this word believe. And we learned that last week. Now this week, we're going to look at another conversion. And, and, and I really believe that this to be very powerful because you're allowing, you're getting a look at Scripture on what is a true conversion. And why in the day and age we live in, there is so much confusion. Uh, everybody, if, if you haven't noticed, everybody's a believer. You know, everybody's Christian. But yet, why do we have such uh, sin in our country? Why is our country off track? And, and why, well, why isn't our church house full today? If everybody's a believer, why is it not? Why, is, why are we not in a building program this church here at this time uh, was at 52,000 people. Then major persecution came to the church and it was headed up and, and it was being pushed by this man by the name of Saul. 
We found him for the first time there uh, giving his consent to the stoning of Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church. And they laid their clothes or their coats down at the feet of Saul. Then Saul, he gets bold. I mean, he gets brave and he starts making havoc of the church. We talked about that. So let's catch it here in verse 1, chapter 9. He says, And Saul, this is the person we're going to look at today, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way. Now begin to pay attention to that little phrase. Uh, You might find it in the book of Acts called the way, or followers of the way. And what's going on here is Christ, these people, these disciples are following Christ, who is the biblical Messiah. And, of course, he came and gave his life and rose again the third day. And this really put a monkey wrench in the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel in that day. They did not recognize Jesus as a disciple. Therefore, they were anti-Christ. And we see Saul here. He is anti-Christ. He is persecuting the church. And of course, you know my mind on that. A lot of people probably have a testimony like, I've been hurt in church. That's why I just don't go to church anymore. I was hurt really bad years ago by Christians. I submit unto you. Did you ever contemplate or think that maybe it was someone who was masquerading as a Christian, but was really a child of the devil, a terror? who is trying to persecute and make havoc of the church because one of their jobs is to keep you from being actively involved in the service to God. And so a lot of times the devil, and we was, if we was to take the time to read this whole chapter, we see that after Paul gets saved, or Saul, I'm calling him Paul because God changes his name later on, but he tries to join himself to some of these churches, and they said, uh-uh, you ain't fooling us. You got us one time. You ain't getting us again. They thought he was still persecuting the church and was trying to come in uh, under the guise of, oh, I, 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 had a, I had a moment. I'm a believer now, just to take the names and to haul more people off to prison. But no, he had really gotten converted. Okay, let's read on. He says, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, your mind, you should understand that this Saul, who is a Pharisee, he only knew one God. He served one God. That was Jehovah. Watch how this transpires, because he rejected the fact that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Look what Christ does. He says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? That's an important question. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, look, here's what Jehovah said. I am Jesus. Now, this is a really plain portion of Scripture in your Bible. If you need a a verse on the deity of Christ or that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, the invisible form of God, because God's a spirit, no man has seen God at any time. He's a spirit and must be worshiped in spirit and truth. So who did they see? Who did Abraham see? Who did the Old Testament prophets see when when Christ or the pre-incarnate Christ shows up there and he claimed to be God? Well, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, according to Colossians and many places in the Bible, Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God. And so he's clearing that up with Saul here, who is anti-Christ, he hates Jesus. He thinks Jesus is an imposter. And so he's making havoc. He's trying to crush. And the devil is using him to do harm to the body of Christ. And so the Lord answers this question, I'm Jesus. Oh my, oh my. We call this having a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> That's what's going on here. He says, Jesus, whom thou persecutest, 
Now, I was looking at this this morning, and uh, it's not really in the message, but I feel led to give this to you. I, and I really think it to be helpful because it is in our text. Did you catch that? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Who was the apostle or who was Saul? Let me get it right because his name's Saul before he gets saved. Who was he literally persecuting? Church, church people, men and women. What is the Bible teaching us? Well, the Bible also teaches us that when we get saved, we make up the body of Christ. And so what your Bible's teaching you is when you fall under persecution for the name of Christ, the Lord feels that thing. The Lord experiences and goes through that with you. That should be some comforting portion of Scripture. He says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he says, the Lord says, he's, he's been touched in all of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. There's a connection there. And God is not going to forever allow the devil and the world to persecute his church, which the Bible calls the bride. Let's read on. And he tells him, he says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In the old days, this is part of hermeneutics, uh, the pricks would be like a cattle goad that was on the back of a wagon. There would be pricks or goads. If those cattle got to kicking, uh, they couldn't. It was hard for them to kick against the pricks. You know, sometimes animals, they get a little ornery. And that's to keep them from being ornery. And, and that's what the Lord said. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished, said, now here's the second great question. We'll talk about that. Lord, uh-oh, he just acknowledged verbally that Jesus is Lord. It's conversion. It's one of the things that must be acknowledged before you can receive Christ is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. The Bible's so clear on that. What, but here's this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now come down to verse 15 because he gets Ananias involved, who is a prophet. And he tells him to go down to this Saul. He said, now, Lord, why would you send me down there? You know he's been persecuting the church. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. He said, go on down there anyway. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come. Lord, help us today. As we expound upon the Word of God, we look at this conversion here. And Lord, help us uh, to, to ponder this uh, and to uh, make sure that uh, uh, we are doing right. Today, I want to really focus on that second question, saved to serve. Seems like so many, so many today really don't care about service. Lord, let us explore that today. Let the Holy Spirit work on hearts and reign supreme. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. As I said earlier, that word believe is a very important word in the Bible. And we've kind of talked about that. What does it mean to believe? But here, Paul is converted. He is born again. And of course, no, he's not in a church house. You don't have to be saved in church. Uh, sometimes, uh, uh, and, and I, now that I'm older and my memory's not as clear as it used to be, you need to, uh, not that you have to be saved in church, but people, if you don't want to ever forget, not that you wouldn't forget conversion, but you might forget the date, the time, the hour, the day. You need to memorialize it. 
Now I'm sure that this was forever memorialized in Saul's mind. I mean, being knocked down uh, by uh, the bright light, you could literally say that he's seen the gospel lights. Uh, and now it might not work that way for us. We're out of that apostolic time period, but we do get to see this conversion. And, and I'm, I'm amazed uh, that this man Saul, who later becomes known as the Apostle Paul, he asks two questions, and I believe them to be the two most important questions that you or I could ask in our life. Number one, who art thou, Lord? I mean, he thought he was serving the one true God. He thought, because he, he had the Old Testament scriptures. He knew who Jehovah was. He also knew the scriptures that talked about a coming Messiah. You say, how do you know that? Because as soon as he's converted, he's using those same scriptures that he knew. He didn't have to go off to Bible school. He grew up in one. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And so when that Holy Spirit of God come in there, which is the decoder to help you understand uh, the God's word, you need the Holy Spirit of God. For the Bible says that the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So you need uh, the Holy Spirit of God living in you to help you understand Scriptures. And so as soon as the Holy Spirit was living inside of Saul, all of a sudden things clicked for him, and he immediately went back into the synagogues, not to persecute Christians, but to convince other lost people that this Jesus, this Messiah, who once he persecuted, is the same Lord Jehovah. He's the Son of God. He is God manifested in the flesh. And so we see him ask this question. Who art thou, Lord? And I hope that you have asked that question. Uh, maybe uh, uh, growing up and, and when you came to the age of accountability that you heard the gospel preached. And the gospel is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and His work, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He paid the sin debt of the world. We're born sinners because of Adam's transgression. And I hope today that you have asked that question, Who art thou, Lord? He says, Well, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. As I said, Saul... He only knew of one God. Saul was not an idol worshiper. Saul didn't worship Baal. Saul wasn't following the uh, Ashtroth or the goddess Diana or, or Mary. He served and was following Jehovah in the light that he had. And he thought he was right. He was convinced he was right. He was so convinced that he was willing to take other people and haul them to jail and have them uh, uh, killed. For the cause of Christ, because in their mind, according to the law, that was a cult to be a follower of Jesus. That's how they viewed that. And the whole time, Jesus, he had performed many miracles. He had performed many signs. He had fulfilled all the biblical prophecies. And the Pharisees knew that he was God's son. They knew it. Jesus told and told the parable where they did know he was the son. But they made a decision not to accept him. They rejected him. And they said, we don't need a Messiah. We want a king. We, we, we don't need the Messiah. We have the law. We don't need the blood of Jesus Christ. We have animal sacrifices. And that was now that this time, uh, the Lord says there in Hebrews, at the end of time, and we're close there to the end of time. He says, Christ has come, and, he, and God has spoken unto us through His Son, Jesus. So Paul asked this question, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord answers, you ask for light, the Lord will give you light. You ask God questions, God will answer. Now today, predominantly, God's going to answer you through His Word because God's answer will never contradict the Scripture. But I'm not saying that there might be a still, small voice that might speak to you in your heart when you, when you meditate and your, and, and your inner meditations and you're trying to pray and you're searching for the will of the Lord, that the Holy Spirit will impress upon your heart His will, which will always, how you try the Spirit on that, it will always line up with the Word of God. 
never goes against it. So the Holy Spirit would never tell you to rob a bank. The Holy Spirit would never tell you to skip church. The Holy Spirit would never tell you to uh, um, <laughs> be mean to your siblings or steal that bubble gum off of uh, the counter there at the grocery store when nobody's looking. Uh, the Holy Spirit would, would never tell you to do that. So be careful. Who art thou, Lord? Now, let me give you some scripture because the Bible states... And Saul declares that he had did this. He had persecuted the church in ignorance. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, Paul makes this declaration. Who was before a blasphemer? He was blaspheming the name of Christ, taking the name of Christ in vain. He was abusing it. He says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor? And injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Uh, there was mention made to this morning in our adult Sunday school class, and I would encourage you to come out for that. Brother Dave is doing a tremendous job there, and he would really like your support uh, in that. And, uh, and we were talking about God. We learned from scriptures God's very merciful. God's very long-suffering, long and He is. Can you imagine the, the, this, this Saul who had been responsible for the death of so many Christians, that God being merciful to him and didn't strike him down dead, but was working with him and then come to him because he heard the preaching of Stephen. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so the Lord shows up. And he gets saved. Let me finish these two verses. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is a faithful saving worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Can you imagine that? Sometimes I get told, preacher, I can't get saved. I've done too many bad sins. I, I, I'm, I'm just a terrible sinner. You know, you can't be worse than the Apostle Paul, or in this case, his name is Saul, before he got saved. Saul is making a declaration, and the Holy Spirit giving leave to do this. This is God's word, that Saul was the chiefest of sinners. You name it, he done it. But more so, he was injurious to the work of God. And I'm going to tell you, there's some pretty bad sins out there. But if Saul was keeping the law in all other points, but he was persecuting, he was antichrist and injurious to the church, the, the Lord allowed him to put that activity as the chief sins. You even find blasphemy there. And he said, uh, the Lord said, you don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. That's what this Paul or this Saul was doing. He was blasphemous and he was working against the work of God. And he was coming up against the wall because you're not going to undo the work of God. And so Saul was given a choice here to this day. Trust me. Might have been the end of the road for him. I'm glad this Saul trusted Christ. And he asked that first question, Who art thou, Lord? I've asked that question. I got saved as a six-year-old boy in church on a Sunday morning. Never forget it. First Sunday in June. No, it was, in, it was first Sunday in June. I can't remember what the date was that day. But it was in 1976. I remember the year. I remember what we had for lunch because I associate things with food. And I tell you that, uh, it was KFC chicken. I can even remember what two pieces of chicken I had on my plate. And that we had mashed potatoes and coleslaw. And I had a chicken leg, which is one of my favorite pieces, and a chicken wing. Now don't ask me about dessert. I don't remember. But I do remember the chicken. Maybe that was God. Let me know I was going to be a preacher someday and a pastor. I don't know. I'm, it's just, you know, I'm trying to connect the dots there. But uh, Saul asked this question. He had been fighting against the will of God. You say, well, 
Brother Todd, did Saul believe the gospel? Yes, he does. You say, well, how do you know that he did? Well, he repents. From this moment forward, he never injures the church again. He never uh, is hauling Christians out to their deaths again. Matter of fact, he starts churches now. He's helping build and fortify and strengthen churches and God uses him in a mighty way, which is the very definition of repentance, which is a change of the mind. He started out anti-Christ. He did not believe that Jesus is God. So repentance is a change of mind. He found out that day that Jesus was Lord and he changed his mind, which results in a change of actions. He no longer remained the chiefest of sinners. That old things were passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He wasn't still living in his sins. Now, I probably could stop there and preach the rest of the day on conversions and how that when you receive Christ, you're a total different person. And it starts on the inside, and then God works from the inside out. Discipleship, or yeah, I would say growing in grace, it can take a lifetime. The new birth happens in an instant. It happens right here in an instant upon the confession of Saul. But I want to get into that second question today. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever asked that second question that Saul asked here? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? As I meditated on that this week, I was amazed that Saul didn't have to spend two years in discipleship class to get that figured out. He didn't have to spend 20 years in church being begged, being drugged, being bribed to try to just get into church on a Sunday morning. We don't find that in this conversion. We didn't find that in the last conversion. And I got news for you. We're not going to find it in the next conversion in chapter 10 with Cornelius. So what is wrong with people's conversions? Something's not right. Here's our pattern. Let me ask you. I ask myself that question this week. Todd, as a six-year-old boy, did you ask that second question the morning you got saved, hanging on to the back of a pew? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Well, I didn't ask it quite like that. But here's how it went down in my heart. I knew that Jesus was God. I'd been raised in a Christian home, so I wasn't struggling with that. But before that moment in time, it wasn't real to me. It's just something that I grew up hearing, and, and I believed. I had no cause to not believe. And then my mom and dad, uh, they were getting their lives together. They were at that time. But before that, I remember before that, I was about four and a half, five. And, and I remember, and I do, I do remember this. I've heard my father tell it. Was, they had gotten out of church there. We lived in Florida. And there was a preacher that come by, a pastor of a church. And of course, he was invited in. And, and he began to talk to mom and dad about salvation. And of course, mom and dad, they had testimonies. said, no, we're saved. We're born again. Dad was saved at 12. Mom was saved right around that age. And that what church? Dad was saved in uh, a revival meeting there at Smyrna Baptist Church all those years ago. I believe there was over 50 people saved in that one particular revival meeting. And so that preacher looked at me. I remember, I don't remember the question other than I've heard my father tell this, but I do remember sitting on the fireplace in that trailer. We had a, had a, a, a place you could sit. And I was listening to this conversation. 
And I remember that preacher pointing at me. And Dad said, this is the question he asked him. He said, well, I see you guys are okay and born again, but you're not in church. Dad said, yeah, that's right. We're not in church. We're out of church right now. And he looked at me and he asked Dad, he says, well, what about him? What about his salvation? You're not doing him any favors. He needs to be in church so that he can experience what you've experienced. He needs a chance. He needs an opportunity to come to know Jesus is his personal Savior. Dad said, boy, that grabbed his heart. He got in church and the mom got involved. And then about a year later, we was living in Indiana. We was part of Mount Hope Baptist Church. Jack Grigsby was the pastor on that first Sunday in June, 1976. The Lord spoke to my heart. And I remember I didn't, nobody led me in a sinner's prayer or anything like that. I bowed my head because I wasn't allowed to go forward. Mom didn't want us moving around in the church service. I was six. I was a boy. You know how that goes. Mom says, you move out of this pew, I'll beat you. I knew what that meant. <laughs> My mom and dad really didn't give many warnings. <laughs> they followed through with that discipline. And so I knew better than to leave that pew, but I wanted to be saved. I really believe that Brother Jack discerned that because he could see me. And they tell me I was raising my hands in the invitation. I don't remember that. I've often thought they were thinking about Jeremiah because that's what Jeremiah did. But I could be wrong. But I knew that morning I wanted to accept Christ. And I seen Brother Jack see it and he says, you know, you don't have to walk a pew or an aisle to get saved. You can trust Jesus in your pew, you can bow your head in the pew and accept Jesus. We was in the invitation. I said, oh, happy day. And I did. I bowed my little head. I said, Lord, I believe in you. Please come into my heart. That's what I did. That's what I said. But let me get back to that second question. How did I answer that? I was at a state of surrender. And I remember thinking this after I'd done that. Uh, it just, there was a change inside of me. I could feel it. Now, you, I'm not saying you would feel a change, but there was inside of my heart. It was like a burden had been lifted. Uh, my heart just beat just a little more. And I, I remember thinking about that. I, I, I want to serve you. I remember saying that. I want to serve you. I didn't know nothing about this second question. But I was willing to do anything that my Lord, my Jesus, would ask me to do when I was just six years old. So I ask you, have you ever asked that second question? It's a very important question. The Apostle Paul, or Saul at this time, knew that he was being saved to serve. Now this tells me some things. One, it tells me a little something about Saul's mindset. And so now we're going to get into that. What was your mindset when you made your confession to Christ? Paul's mindset was not carnal. It's not a carnal mindset. And what I mean by that is it wasn't selfish. It wasn't about me first. You hear this so often. Well, I got my fire insurance paid up. I'm not going to go to hell now because I've trusted Christ. Like, okay, that's a good thing. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I didn't want to go to hell either. That's a good thing. But salvation is not all about selfishness or a carnal mindset. You see, most people that have that mindset when they trust Christ, it's from a selfish perspective. And it, it hurts me when I hear churches say, well, we're giving out free backpacks for anybody that gets saved. We got 50 backpacks. We want 50 conversions. Uh, that's a bribe. That's a carnal mindset. That's somebody that says, I'm going to give you something free, free stuff, just to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. 
I'm going to tell you that's the wrong motive. Because that kind of individual has no intention of ever asking this second question. What wilt thou have me to do? And so what you see is they'll sit, they'll soak, and they'll sour on God. They're going to sit and do nothing. They're going to soak, and they're going to soak everything in. And you know what happens to our sponges at home when we, we soak them, we don't clean them out, and they fill up? They stink. They sour, don't they? Why? Because it's a carnal mindset. Saul did not have a carnal mindset, but I will tell you this. Saul's mindset was not criminal. He did not have a criminal mindset. Now, I didn't preach on it, but in chapter 8, we come across an individual called Simon the Sorcerer. And the Bible says, well, he believed, you know, they come down there, he's preaching, uh, Philip was preaching, he gets saved, and boy, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Peter and John come down, and he sees, he's watching, he's watching Peter and John lay hands on people, and he's healing them, and, uh, uh, and so on and so forth, and he craved power. And so he says to Peter, how much would it take for me to pay you so you could give me that power, so when I lay hands on somebody that they, they could be healed and so on and so forth. And Peter looks right at him. He says, let me tell you something. I've discerned you're in the gall of bitterness. Yes, he was. His mindset, when he said he believed, was criminal. He used to bewitch the people. He had power. And he's seen that the Holy Spirit of God, there was more power with God than with Satan. And he was bitter about that. And he wanted to control people. He wanted to have that power so he could have the preeminence. His mindset was criminal. And I got news for you. If your mindset was criminal, when you said you made your profession, that's not a new birth. That's a criminal mindset because you, you crave power and position. And there's people that do that. And then we run across them and they, we find them doing harm and causing problems in churches and they do more harm than they do good i'll tell you they had a criminal mindset their mindset was not right now there's one more mindset that come to my mind and i believe is a very dangerous mindset saul's mindset was not a confidence game now, I put that in there because I didn't really want to use the word a con job, but that's my language. Saul's mindset, he was not trying to con people. And I get that from later on in the passage, uh, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he said to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They thought his mindset was a new tactic to deceive, to come in, so he could get more people and haul them off to jail. Which is called a confidence game. And what I mean by that, it's a scam that relies on the victim's trust. Our belief in the scammer. Let me give you a couple illustrations to bring it home to us. Sometimes this happens to teenagers. I need to get people off my back. I need to get mom and dad off my back. So I'm going to make this profession to get them off my back. That's a confidence game. That's a scam. I've seen this because I've grown up in this. I've seen teens get in trouble at church. Like have a morning like the morning. They'll get to acting up. And they get to poking fun. They get disruptive that they're distracting the attention. The pastor calls them down. Well, in my day, if you got called down by the pastor in the church, when you got home, it was a sure enough spanking. There was no conversation. They were not going to pray about this for a while. No, we're going to pray after your spanking. Because you will learn. I Sitting on the front pew. This time we're in Texas. I'm turning around and making faces during the service to another young man in the church. We're just goofing off. I, I, 
I didn't have my Bible open. I wasn't paying attention. It was a Wednesday night. Not many people there. Brother Jack Grigsby again, preaching. About the third time I crossed my eyes and stuck my tongue out, I'm sitting on the front pew. There was about 20 people in there. Everybody's watching me do this. Why I was felt inclined to do this, I hadn't been provoked. I just thought it was cool. I've never thought it was cool ever again. Brother Jack stops says, Todd, <clears throat> stop making faces in church. My dad's sitting there on the front pew with me. He's taking notes. I'll never forget that look. I knew what it meant. I try to mimic that look sometimes. Dad looks over. I knew it. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, boy. I still remember that to this day. And to this day, to my knowledge, even as an adult, I don't think I've ever made faces during a service. <laughs> Dad said, you'll never do that again. But I have seen children and teenagers do that, and they knew they were in trouble because they had parents like my parent. And you know what they did? In the invitation, they'd been chomping gum and laughing and hee-hawing and playing footsies and everything else. They'd come marching down the aisle with a tear. And teenagers, by the way, they can cry fake tears. They can turn it on just like that. Oh, they just turn it on right now. They come down, oh, and they're raising a little, oh, man, I've been fighting. The devil's been fighting me all week, Pastor. Oh, I've been so rebellious. I've been so evil. And I just need to get saved. And they get saved. Oh, and they make up. You know what that is? That's a confidence game. That's not a true conversion. You know what they're doing? They've learned how to get out of a spanking because what parent would want to go home and say, boy, I'm sure glad, well, mine would. I'm sure glad you trusted Jesus this morning, but you're still going to get a spanking. But I would watch those parents, and they'd come rushing up, and oh, this so happy day. You know what? You have been a little monster all this week, and now, oh, the devil's been chased away, and Jesus is living inside. Yeah, they did that six months ago. That's what I'm talking about, that confidence game. Maybe you've heard it like this, and I've seen this. People get into a tough spot in life. And so they think in that accepting Christ will give them some relief. So that's what they do. But they had no intention on ever serving. They had no intention. They didn't even want to entertain the fact that when God saves you, He saves you to serve, not sit. So I ask you, have you ever asked that question to Christ? Maybe you've heard it like this. I really need to get that preacher off my back. Maybe you've heard it like this. You know, I just really need to be left alone to be me. And this allows me to be me. That's a confidence game. That's the wrong mindset. That person's not born again. They're still lost as a doornail in the house of God. You say, how would you know that? Because they won't serve God. They don't care about service. They want to sit, soak, sour. You know, I've seen something this week. It says... And, and, and it's good. I think I liked it. Maybe some of you have seen it. It was about when you don't show up to the house of God, that's a no vote on keeping the doors of the church open. You know, there is some truth in that. There is some truth in that. You know, Saul's mindset was the right mindset. Let's get to that, and then I'm right into that ending. Saul had the right mindset. He knew he was being saved to serve. Kind of a no-brainer, ain't it? You're going to do something in this life. Now, you're either going to do it for the devil or you're going to do it for God. There's only two options. 
Here in verse 15, God said he's a chosen vessel unto me. That means God was sanctifying him for a purpose. If you're born again in here this morning, God has something for you to do. Everybody, it takes involvement of everybody. God saved Saul for service. He said he was going to bear his name to the Gentiles. Yeah, we're to bear the name. We're to go into all the world. And then he says that Saul was chosen to suffer. How would you have liked to have known that? When you got saved, God said, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to suffer as a Christian. I dare say there'd be a lot of people that say, you know what? I don't know if I want in on this. <laughs> what did this Saul say later when he'd come? The apostle Paul, he says, look, he said, I understand we're going to go through some things down here. We're going to be persecuted. But he says, that's only for a little while. Over there, it'll be far better. Now, let me ask you this. So what was your mindset when you made your confession of Christ? Was it a carnal mindset? I'm just here for the free gift. You heard the word free. Salvation is a free gift. Oh, I'm, I'm in. I don't care what it is. There's people like that. I mean, if they hear the word free, they're, they're all in. Uh, where is it? They like, some people just love to go to Sam's for all the free samples. They get mad when they don't have them out. And then they fight over them. I've seen fights. It's great to watch. Free stuff. Was it a criminal mindset? You know, preacher, I just want to be able to name it and claim it. I, I, want, I want God on my side so I can tell him, I want to be rich and famous. It's all about the money with me. That's a criminal mindset. I want to rule it or ruin it. If I can't rule and be number one in the house of God, I'll ruin it. That's demonic. <laughs> we're supposed to be serving together. Actually, the Bible said we're supposed to submit to one another. Ephesians 5. He said he was speaking concerning the church. Was it a confidence game? You know, I've, I've run across this too. There was a deacon that was in this church years ago, and this was his testimony. The next door neighbor had a daughter who he liked. But her daddy was a pastor, and he told, her, told him, you can't date my daughter till you become born again. And, and that's, that's right, but you know what his testimony was? So I went to church, showed up, walked the aisle, made a profession, and I was allowed the date we later got married. That was his testimony. You wonder what that is? That's a confidence game. I'm going to get what I want no matter what. Tell me what hoops I need to jump through. Got to be careful with that, folks. That's not true conversion. Mom and dad are on my back, so I need to make this look good. I need to hide what I'm really doing. And this is a good cover. That's a false conversion. You know, I want to ask you, maybe you are born again. Maybe you didn't know that there was the second question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That is a scriptural question. And with true conversions, that's a question that you need to ask. Some people don't want to ask it because they're afraid. <laughs> it's kind of like asking mom. Mom, what would you like me to do? Pick up that broom over there. Start sweeping the floors. <laughs> I really wasn't in the context of work. So we don't want to ask that question to God. You know, are you serving in your local New Testament church? I got some ministries here that need people. The statistics say that 90% of the church, the people make up at church, are never involved in any ministry. And 10% are carrying the ball. Say, why? Probably because it's never preached on. Maybe because, like Charles Spurgeon said, 80% of the congregation has never had a born-again experience. I know, it's got quiet on me. That means the Holy Spirit's working. There's conviction. 
Let me name you some of the ministries here. If you're a member, would like to become a member, you need to be serving. If you're truly born again, you need to ask God this morning that second question. What wilt thou have me to do? We have a Barnabas ministry. We're going to talk about Barnabas. What was his ministry? Well, it was a ministry of encouragement. People need encouraging. People have bad weeks. It ain't just you. Boy, they, they need a little encouragement. How about the fellowship ministry? We need help setting up. We got a homecoming coming, dinner on the grounds. Cooking, clean up. How about the multimedia ministry? We got the sound booth. We got sermons audio. Just looking for somebody to take over that. And PowerPoint. That's called multimedia ministry. How about the groundskeeping ministry? That's important too, folks. The landscaping, the mowing, the weed eating. How about church cleaning? Picking up the trash in the pews in the bathroom, trying to help. Be a help. How about Sunday school helpers? Help in class. Maybe a Sunday school alternate teacher. You know, some of us would like some vacation time. How about nursery workers? A nursery rotation. How about Sunday school teachers? How about youth outreach? Choir helpers. How about adopt a child prayer warrior? Some of you folks that are empty nesters, maybe you don't have a grandchild. Adopt a child. Start praying for that child. Start trying to be an encouragement and a good influence to them by showing up to the services. They need mentors. How about event planners help with activity ideals? How about the outreach ministry, visitation, widow's ministry? How about sending cards of encouragement to those that are shut in? We got some shut-ins. They watch the live stream. I guarantee they'd like a card from some of you. How about the youth ministry where we teach the youth how to serve others? You know, I dare say we got some widows. Generally, we try to get the, their home pressure washed every fall. Somebody could take that and take some of our teen boys. We got a pressure washer. The pastor don't have to be the one that always does that. Now, I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm having you ask that question to God. I'm not even upset. I'm just... This is what the message is this morning. Have you ever asked Christ that second question? What wilt thou have me to do? There's opportunities here. How about special music ministry? I mean, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. How about the adult choir ministry? Those were just a few that I've jotted down. You need to ask God... That second question, if you're born again, and again, I'm not trying to preach you lost, and I'm not even really trying to say if you didn't ask that question, you're lost.